Hey everyone ever, and welcome to 20th Century Popcast, the show where we try to understand the present by living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. And I am Bob Canning. And good morning, Bob Canning, as we had already said before we good started morning. recording. Uh, yeah. it's, it's early, right? Is this early time for podcasting? It's earlier than we usually record, yes. I don't know if it's early for podcasting. There might be a lot of other podcasts that record at this hour. People's voices sound pretty clear on the shows that I, I listen to, so I assume <laughs> that they have reasonable hours. But yes, uh, here we are. It's nice, nice to talk to you again. I know what I didn't, we didn't get a chance to record for last week, so we, um, it's nice to have you back. And I, I believe our listenership of at least seven people agree, or at least seven well, of the nine people agree. I'm, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad we got uh, to get together at this early hour and record. Yes. See, and that's the thing. It's like I'm making, we're making the time because. Uh, we very much enjoy doing this. At least I do. Well, yes, and also we have a weekly schedule, and I don't have anything on deck because I don't foresee myself heading to the movies. But yes, we also enjoy each other. Is that what you, that's what you just said, right? That's what yes, I said. Yeah, that's what you said. You know, I'm enjoying it right now. So a couple minutes <laughs> of enjoying Bob's conversation. But today on the show, we're going to talk about something something that I enjoy, uh, something that I don't think I necessarily forced on you, but I hope you enjoy as a topic. Yes. Um, and, and, well, what you want to say? I feel like I'm going to be talking so much, but maybe not. What would you want to introduce the topic? Do you yeah, want to say? We're, we're, we're going to talk about? about absolutely. We're going to be talking a little bit. We're going to talk through the '90s albums, solo albums mm-hmm. of Paul Westerberg. Yes, uh, who is the the lead singer of the Replacements? He, he was was the lead was. singer of the Replacements. And briefly and, uh, again, what, when they got back together for the the the, the brief tour, I didn't see a couple years ago. Yeah, just a couple of years ago, I didn't. I didn't get to see that either. Um, I had an opportunity. But yeah, we're going to talk about those '90s albums. You did. You had an opportunity to. Well, they came through Boston. They came to a little thing called Boston Call- Calling. I say little thing. I don't know why. Uh, a music festival. They came to that. I, I've watched it. I've watched a YouTube video of it, but I missed it. And, and I'm kind of glad I did. I guess. I'm. I'm. I'm Was it I mean, not that's, great? Well, I mean, that's obviously that's a statement said to protect the disappointment of whatever the other personal engagement i had that blocked me from seeing it but if i had gone to see this replacement show as exciting as it would have been to be like i'm here i'm hearing these replacement songs i think it would have felt a lot like a paul westerberg solo show sure and i've done that and i think the expectation of going into a paul westerberg show was always different than going into a replacement show so yeah probably having if i had seen them live of course i would have enjoyed it i would have been exciting i enjoy the footage i've seen but now it's kind of like that's Paul Westerberg. That's not the band he was in. And I don't know. In the 80s, I assume, even though that their lineup switched a little bit, I don't know if the band was considered just Paul Westerberg or if it was the the, the fuller band. Because I, I didn't really know their replacements as more than their second to last album. They had an album called Don't Tell a Soul. And there was a, a song after that called I'll Be You, which was one of their only radio singles, like um, mainstream radio singles. Yeah, and that was the first I ever heard. Paul Westerberg's voice or of the band and that song I just heard it one night on the radio and it just impacted me with its driving drum beats and and what little of the refrain I, I or, or chorus of I'll be you I could make out just it just really struck some sort of chord to me that I listened to the radio each night they had this uh top five at nine kind of thing where they'd count down the five most requested songs in a night and that happened to be in it so the very next night I listened to that with a little cassette and my little boom box and when it came on I hit record so I still have that tape somewhere of the very first full recording I ever heard of that song and so that song kind of lived as just that song for a while 
So you were you were enamored with the song. It wasn't about the band. Well, I didn't point. know. Yeah, I didn't know anything else about the band. But I think that's kind of how I was. This would have been 1989, so I'm in eighth or ninth grade, depending on what part of the year it was. And I think music for me then was mostly soundtracks. I was starting to get into bands. I think Billy Joel, Aerosmith, Rush, the Blues Brothers, the California Raisins. These were the bands of choice <laughs> for me. But I was exploring a little bit more. And I think hearing this song, the song I'll Be You, which inherently has 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 um topic you know i'm sure the subject matter struck me but also just a song that no one else was that i knew in my circles was saying or talking about i i didn't know the band name so to hear the replacements even that name had sort of a magical tinge to it because you know it's an interesting name so yeah i think it was just that song and every and because that's all i had on the cassette and i didn't know how to go out and pursue more by them i didn't even really think are there more songs by them i just listened to that song over and over again which is where i heard Paul Westerberg's voice where I started to get this idea of their lyrics and where I heard the instrumentation, none of which in that song is typical replacement sounding, but a lot of which I think would go on to influence what Paul Westerberg as a solo artist sounded like. Is this rambling? I feel like this is rambling. A little no, bit. no, that's, this is a good setup. And, and that song actually, um, I didn't realize was my first connection to the replacements as well. Um, I didn't, know the replacements in the 80s i didn't know the replacements through most of the 90s i maybe oh. had a sense of of them out there i didn't really know the replacements until i uh was your roommate in college mm-hmm. um and you would you know have the albums playing we would uh i think we had one uh cd player in the room at least for a time um but yeah so we would uh share time on the on the player and you would play the replacements, and I heard "I'll Be You" when you were playing your songs, and I recognized it as a, as a song I was familiar with. I wasn't as uh, I didn't follow the song like you did. I didn't uh, it didn't strike me at the time. It was more of like a song I'd heard either on MTV or in the background somewhere, and it's like, oh, that's a song I'm familiar with, but I hadn't heard all these other songs. So, um, yeah, so that's how I came to know the replacements, and I think by that time. Um, of getting to know the replacements, as we're going to get into, Paul Westerberg was now solo. I had probably heard, I did, I, I, in fact, I did hear his solo songs from the single soundtrack prior to realizing he was a guy from another band. As did I, and I think those two songs, we talked about the single soundtrack all the way back in like episode three or four earlier yeah. this year. Um, you can, I'll put a on. link in the show notes if you want to listen to a low quality audio quality of high quality conversation um, about that soundtrack. But uh, singles was sort of, was Paul Westerberg's first real solo work. He, um, he did the background music for the film and he contributed two songs to that soundtrack. And yeah, those two songs, while I already knew I'll be you were my introduction to this idea of Paul Westerberg. I had a name inside the CD. There was a picture of him. So I had a face to apply to a particular song that I knew from start to finish the song waiting for somebody and that that song, um, 1992, that song, and we talked about this on the episode too, I think, that, that, that to me, in, as a 12th grader at that point in high school, Waiting for Somebody, the first real solo Paul Westerberg track, that connected on the level where it was very, I mean, that song is a very self-serving sort of romantic um, anthem, I guess. 
Yeah. You know, it's got like this chanting, this long, you know, these voices that are chanting as a choir. So there's this idea of so many desperate longing people calling out and, and it's, you know, this desperate need of just all his life, you know, all my life waiting for somebody. It's this idea of waiting, of wanting and um, of not yet having and and it's romantic and it's it's dramatic and as a 16 year old i guess when i first heard this all those things seem to apply to this idea of this is what life is for me maybe not for anyone else but it's kind of like i'm 16 i'm in the small town nobody gets me i have to get out of this town i'm the creative one all the selfish mindsets that i think every teenager has to some form because they haven't experienced that the world is full of people like that but those three concepts, you know, waiting, wanting, and not yet having, I, I say them because I think those, that illustrates a lot of Paul Westerberg's songwriting. That illustrates a lot of the meaning behind his songs. And I think that's what brought me in and what I identified with these songs was that, that those senses, those, those three words, you know, because there's a sense of not quite being an adult yet or not quite being a success or not quite being the artist. And that's what the um, the not yet having part is and also what the waiting part is. It's, it's this idea of having a drive to have something, be something, and, and, and whatever that is, be it a romantic relationship, career as a, as, as a writer, a musician. There's just this idea of, of, of wanting it and going, I don't even know if it's going after it, but you just, you don't have it yet, but you're drooling for it. You know, you're just so like, this is what I need. And wherever you are, be it the small town you grew up in, your second year of college, your first apartment, you know, the weekend between jobs, whatever it is, there is something else that you just need to get to. And that feeling, very dramatic feeling without consequence, because I'd never really pursued stuff at such a young age, that is... I think at the heart of why these songs, that song and then the songs to follow it, uh, kind of impacted me. Yeah, it's it, and for for me, I mean, you're talking about the message of the song, uh, which is great, and and yeah, you absolutely connect to. For me, at that time, my draw to music was was the melodies <clears throat> and the musicality of it. I guess I, I just enjoyed that, and I I just really enjoyed those two songs and and that song as well off the album. They were poppy they were upbeat um it didn't as i got to learn who the replacements were it it clearly was a different sound um from from that and so sort of looking back you can see there's i mean you're saying poppy which i think is the is a great way to describe it i think paul westerberg as much as you know going to the 90s this idea of alternative music underground music and i want to identify with that paul westerberg proves that like you're saying yeah i love pop music and he's an amazing pop writer and i think the replacements have that i think there are hooks and i think they have that i think yeah i think it's more i guess it's more about the maybe the production of it the cleanliness of it whereas as you were saying before the the replacements are their their music was more just kind of uh bratty and and not necessarily thrown together but they kind of have this feeling at times that it was thrown together and i'm not a replacements expert um, so maybe you, you can identify where uh, the quality of the recordings might have changed a bit, but certainly I, th- I feel like the songs, a lot of the songs that I like, uh, have that nice uh, rough kind of sound to it that uh, I think the single songs 
don't. The single songs have like a sheen to it. They're Paul Westerberg songs. And I think as much yeah. as his name is, the, is most of the time the written by on replacement albums, as much as a front per, you know, the front person of a band is usually the face of the band anyways. <clears throat> um, unless you're rotating out lookalike hairdos like Van Halen seemed to do in the late 80s and early 90s. I feel like I'm going to insert a rim shot there for all of our Van Halen fans. <laughs> um, I feel like the transition, and, and there's probably even a Replacements album. Their last album might serve as a transition. Maybe we should talk about them sometime, and I don't want to get too hooked up on that. Uh, uh, short of saying sure. that, had I followed the Replacements from the very beginning, I don't know what I would have thought of Paul Westerberg, really. Like Paul Westerberg as a solo artist, even right from the start, like Waiting for Somebody, and then the first album we're going to talk about in a moment, his first solo album, 14 songs, they don't sound like replacement. Like you were just saying, they don't sound like replacement songs. His voice even sounds a little different, but there's context clues that it's kind of the same person, and I think I found Paul Westerberg at the right time. Like there maybe there's something a little more safe about the pop Paul Westerberg than the dirty dangerousness of the replacements. I know we've talked numerous times before about me gravitating towards the safer bands versus the more dangerous bands. You know, Pearl Jam, mm. not uh, Nirvana. Um, another example, not a joke of an example that would have been funny. But I just I feel like <laughs> with this going into like waiting for somebody in this pop sensibility, Paul Westerberg appealed to me. And maybe this does tie into what you're saying with the replacements. Like, I grew up pretty naive. You know, I grew up in a little bubble. I grew up in a safe town, a small town, small town kid who was exploring through yeah. TV and video stores and, and the library and comic books. You know, all these bigger ideals. And some, you know, some of them archaic, some of them mysterious, some of them just adult and intellectual or whatever. Not grasping them, but I it was at least reaching out for all those things. But I was a naive small town kid. You know, who wanted to put yeah. on the outfit of, you know, the scraggly underground outsider or wanted to put on the outfit of the, you know, intellectual late 80s stand up comedian or whatever it was I wanted to be. So Paul Westerberg coming out of the replacements, you know, trying to wear that previous band outfit still, this the scraggy, like you're saying, underproduced or poorly produced or, or thinly produced, whatever it is sound that was the replacements yeah. he wasn't that i mean he was in his early 30s he could still sing bastards of young but he was aging past that um that age bracket so i think i found in him a safe way of sort of acknowledging and and, and maybe starting to experiment a little with these fringe feelings you know um sort of like you know he wore a suit and tie on these album covers he was well dressed you know he, he had his mange of hair but it was it was properly clothed i mean he he was a 90s pop star and 90s pop stars were not yeah. as gritty or techno organic or whatever it was that 80s pop stars was were excuse me so he was shedding a little bit of the replacements mentality as he grew older and <clears throat> went out on his own but he you know he had traces of that and i think i was able to experience those traces through sort of the softer radio friendly uh, feelings of for example the first album his 1993 first solo release 14 songs now this was a big deal for me this album i remember that being a big deal for you mm -hmm. so i would have brought it to college is, uh, that, is that where you first heard it or did you already have it i do i do have it now but i didn't have it um for anyone that that hasn't put it all together <laughs> uh having listened to previous episodes uh tim and i we lived together in college we were roommates in college for a few years 
Um, and then after college, uh, we found ourselves back in Boston together. I think you had stayed in Boston and I'd come back to I Boston. I was there, lived together. there for a year before you came back. Yeah. And so we lived together for, uh, two and a half years, years. two years three, at least years? three. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in Boston. So I didn't during that time, uh, freshman year of college through, uh, what was it? 2000. Would have been the fall of 2001 is when you moved. That, that I left, um, I did not have 14 songs mm. because you had 14 songs. Playing. Probably and had so, it playing. Um, playing often. And uh, that's that's how I came to know Paul Westerberg as a separate entity, as, a, as an actual musician. Because, pr- like I said, prior to that, I had heard the songs, but I didn't know who it, who it was as the replacements. Oh, actually, no, I had known Paul Westerberg, obviously, on the single soundtrack. But that's how I got to know him more. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's how I got to know this album, and I absolutely love the album. And so, yes, I have it now because as soon as I moved away from you, it was actually one of the very first albums uh, I bought. Um, I think I, I think I told you that uh, it was like I I need my Tim album. Aww. I need fourteen songs. I, I, don't, I don't know if you did tell that. That's sweet. I so let's talk about that album then, because clearly from what you're saying, I have a huge attachment to it. Um, well, I mean. You did at the time, and you were about to say that you did. I do. Uh, so no, I, I, do. I, just, I, it, it, I was touched just then, whatever, by the concept mm-hmm. that this album, and maybe I think I might be exaggerating what you just said. It was sort of, you know, it was the best condensed representation of of me. God, that's not at all. That's dumb sounding. <clears throat> I don't know if it was the best repre- uh, condensed representation of you because you are hard to condense. <laughs> But uh, I'm trying to lose some of that, though. I got a wedding coming up, so I'm trying to <laughs> trim down just a little, condense some of this. Uh, condense a little. Um, no, but it was just, it was, it wasn't just that. It was also just, you know, I think uh, a first obvious um, pop culture signpost uh, of you. Like y- you had. Billy Joel, that was easy. You had your Aerosmith poster. That was supposed to be private. But... Uh, that was easy. <laughs> he mentioned it earlier, so I feel okay to, to mention it now. Uh, I remember you had your, your Kermit the Frog uh, uh, puppet, and you had 14 songs. Those were like the first, like, if, if I'm putting it all together as to who you were in this brief, quick, <laughs> I'm going to be living with this guy. I got to understand him a little. Um, those were the things that stood out, and fourteen songs played often and became the the more obvious touchstone of that year, and then the years to follow. Well, yeah, I, I, that last sentence, and for me, I would say that last last sentence is accurate. Fourteen songs. It wasn't the first, you know, like coming into music in high school, which I did. You know, when I started buying albums and stuff, there were definitely things that everybody had that I would buy, bands you would follow, and you know, like everyone had Led Zeppelin, so I have to get some Led Zeppelin. Everyone's into Pearl Jam, I get some Pearl Jam. But there were also other bands that I discovered, you know, through a mutual friend perhaps or on the radio. Um, you know, like some, you know, you have that one friend in in in, uh, in high school who it's like, what, you know, they walk in with their jean jacket, and there's a patch on the back. You're like, what's that? And they're like, oh, that's Ned's Atomic Dustbin. They're this British band with two bass guitars, and suddenly you're hearing it, and you're like, this is amazing, and you're going out and you're buying the CD or. Yeah. Or not? Who was that friend for you? Because I had that friend too. I had a couple. Um, uh, I wish I could remember the name of the friend who actually suggested Ned's Atomic Dustbin to me because I, I can't. But I had a friend named Mark, uh, Mark Cropley. He was a year ahead of me, and he was into what I considered punk music. He was into the Misfits, the Ramones. 
And these aren't necessarily names that are underground and alternative. By that point, everyone knew the Ramones. I think the Misfits are kind of, you know, they're, they're corporate enough where it's like they have their look, their T-shirts and all of that. But to this little kid, as I was in this small town where the music stores, when I was going to them, I was thumbing through soundtracks. When I was listening to the radio, I was listening to the pop hits. Having someone say, oh, this is Ramones Mania. It's a compilation of Ramones music. Or this is the Pixies, um, the album with the bass yeah. on it, which I'm forgetting the name of. Uh, Doolittle, you know, he's like, here are these, you know, having that friend that began widening my, my view of music. Who was, did you have a version of this friend you were going to say? Yeah. Um, I would say my, my friend was Jeff Blehar and, uh, he was, Joan Behart. he was the guy that would Jeff Blehar. Jeff Blehard. <laughs> um, he, he would have the, the, the band t-shirts, and you know like magazine clippings in his locker i unfortunately didn't um get into the bands like he what like that's where i first heard of like you said the pixies he also had the Lemonheads um at a time way before the Lemonheads became a, a known where were these name. kids uh, there's a few this? others like where do you think they got that's from? the thing i had another friend i uh amy brown was also into music she was a big dan fan brown the violent Amy Brown had a Violent Femmes t-shirt, and you're talking about things that, that would scare you kind of musically. Um, that, that name just frightened me. I'm like, I, I was like, this is not going to be a band that I would enjoy. Um, three or four years later, it turns out I, I very much did. But at that time, I didn't. I could hear these band names and, and see their t-shirts and see their postings from, from my friends like Amy and Jeff, but I never... Not Jeff. I, I never asked them about them. I didn't... Uh, uh, get into any of those bands at that time. And I just, I would love to know how, because like Violent Femmes, sure, 30 years on, you can go into a Target and that is the shirt that you can buy, your Violent, Violent Femmes shirt or your Nirvana shirts or whatever. But back mm-hmm. then, where did they get that from? And who were they hearing? I'm yeah, sure the answer know. is college radio. Maybe it's an older sibling. But yeah, that sort of, how that culture moves, you know, like importing that into the school system and, and almost dealing it on the side kind of thing, you know, that I, that's appealing to me. And I don't know the schematics of how it works. Cause again, everybody was listening to the radio and the radio had things like Prince. The radio had things like soul asylum. The radio had things. My, not my radio. My radio had uh, Bruce Hornsby almost all the time. Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> We're gonna do this the whole podcast. I'm trying to, but some of the like Mutt and Jeff, I don't. I'm not quite sure who that is. Um, really, you weren't getting. See, I feel like the pop stations. There was some crossover, not a lot. Um, and there was nothing, classic rock stations. I mean, but. I mean, there were. I'm just saying, like with with the way I was living and and uh, single parent mom, my grandparents lived several blocks away. We were just listening to the the same <clears throat> music stations. I didn't really explore beyond that. Um, Maybe I should have, but I wasn't. We listened to 93Q, which basically played, uh, you know, safe pop. You know, you'd have your Mariah Carey's, your Bruce Hornsby's, your new Billy Joel's, uh, Phil Collins. Phil Billy Joe. <laughs> so, um, so how I, great to have that friend then. It, it would have been great, but I didn't do anything. I, yeah, it's not like. We weren't sharing tapes. Like I didn't really experience uh, newer music until Nirvana became a thing. Um, See, I feel like Nirvana was a radio band. They were on the radio. That's how I heard. Yeah, them. I, I feel like there was a shift at that point, though. 
like at least for me and i don't know culturally what it was like and clearly it wasn't a cultural shift because other people had experience with these other bands but for me um i was taking my cues from you know one or two radio stations and my family and none of them uh <laughs> were listening to the violent femmes so uh when when nirvana sort of became more popular and i was also aging i was older at that time so i was probably you know staying up late and watching 120 minutes so i started to uh experience well, it myself minutes is a good introduction to music that was underground yeah like stuff. yeah I'm so, i guess the replacements that's, on that. that's sort of like the, my, the end of my college or excuse me the end of my high school years um was where i was starting to transition and then uh hitting college and and living with you um helped me out as well yeah, and maybe transition is a good word there. And and maybe everyone does this too. I, I don't mean this to signal it out like we're music lovers, but that transition into whatever just wasn't the mass consciousness. And there other people might be too. Like everyone can be a fan of, you know, the Madonna song on the radio, but each of those fans also probably follows tributaries to other music. And, 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 and just through hearing Material Girl, they discover some other side of it and that can lead to stuff. And so for me, having these people mention these bands was a way that, yeah, I came across Ned's Atomic Dustbin, the way I, I first came across the Ramones, even though by that point they were pretty ingrained in society. So I had all of that. What mm-hmm. I guess, and I think it's important to have that, you know, I had it a little bit with my older brother. I had it a lot with my older brother for things like comic books and movies. Music, he introduced me to Aerosmith. He introduced me to the Bangles, for which I actually owe him a huge thanks. He had one of their albums, but like I didn't follow his music footsteps well, you know, I did until I started finding stuff like Paul Westerberg. Because my brother likes a lot of, liked a lot of hair bands. I mean, he also liked stuff like The Cars. First mm. person I ever heard who had a Smashing Pumpkins album. Like he had these other choices that seem outside of the, the of, of the actual music collection I'm picturing in my mind. But he liked a lot of like hard rock, arena rock bands, which are fun. Those are fun bands, and I enjoy them. But as I started discovering that there were other things. On the side of that, underneath that, things like the bands we keep mentioning, you know, the, the um, uh, none of which I can think of right now, the, the Ned's Atomic Dustbins, the Pixies, yeah. the Violent Femmes. As I was discovering that, I was able to break off. And maybe that's what finding your music is a lot of times. You're just breaking off. Like, you can still have a soft spot, and I still do, for a couple songs by Poison and even a couple songs by Aerosmith. But... <laughs> As you know, as development is probably in your teens, you just want to rebel against whatever everyone else is doing, whether or not that's sincere. And to do that, music, you break off from from the public, you know, you break off from the mainstream. And one step further from that, I think, was while all these other people were feeding me bands to listen to, like my friend Nate was another good source. I think Buffalo Tom, the first time I heard Buffalo Tom was through him, and I think Sugar, which eventually led me to Husker Du, which. In a sad memoriam, Grant Hart, and the drummer from Husker Du, passed away this past week. Mm. Um, we, we could talk about that. But we should probably stay on topic here. Um, you know, like so, I had people suggesting things to me. Paul Westerberg, and I think this might be why fourteen songs matters so much. Is I found that on my own, I tracked it down by the confluence of I had the single soundtrack. I loved waiting for somebody. I had I'll be you on cassette off the radio i found out that's the same guy so to hear that this guy who did these two at this point two songs really because dyslexic card i can do without but these two songs that so pushed me into feeling to hear he had a solo album coming out i sought that the fuck out and nobody else did yeah 
you know, the 14 songs, that album, it came out, you know, I wrote down the release date. It came out that summer, I think. Maybe it came out sooner, but I had, I definitely had it by the time fall rolled around. In fall of 93, it would have been our first year of college. So I definitely had it from the start. And I yeah. came in almost like feeling like almost like I was just carrying it like a little, uh, little shield or a little badge in front of me. Because I attached to this album. I mean, it's also, it's the music. I'm sure it's a great album, but I also was attached to it because, again, it was my thing. It was a quick way to assure myself of my identity. Like, I came into college with a, you know, a small CD collection, probably 10 or 12 CDs I brought up with me. And as you do in that first week of, or at least as we did, from what I remember in the dorm, you have your door open, you're, you're watching as people walk by, you're trying to anchor or win in anyone just to come in to say hello because you know i felt like i'm desperate for friends yeah <laughs> so you yeah. know you put up just just the right poster to be seen from the wall right. you know as they're walking by or you find yourself with the right thing maybe playing on tv i would play certain albums thinking will this draw someone in like i remember the sex pistols album was a big one i would play that i wasn't a huge sex pistols fan but i thought this is punk right this might uh, might attract people and it did people popped their head in and said stupid things about you know, that, oh, that's my Johnny Rotten or whatever. Nothing came of it, obviously. <laughs> that's my Johnny Rotten. That's what the Sex Pistols fan in college, hey, that's my Johnny Rotten. I think that's what they chant. I think that's what they say. So so you're putting these identities out. <clears throat> but I, while I was doing that, would always kind of privately, because, again, I wasn't, I guess I never thought, are there other fans out there? I would then regress to that album the, not regress but I, I would take solace in 14 songs because that music sure. it was only being heard in my head i looked out then that i wasn't the guy in the hall but i was actually <laughs> in, the, in the room um so i actually overhearing this album overhearing this album um but yeah I, I don't think we even really talked about the album much mm-hmm. um it just was in your life and therefore mine and and uh it just became for me. It became ingrained. I'm I'm a huge fan of this album. It's it's the sound. I mean, this is this. Here comes the dumb radio byline. But it is the soundtrack of my life at that point. No, oh, for sure. You like that? That makes complete sense. Um, I mean, even just the having, look of it, like everything about the design. I just picked it up to look at it here. Everything about this fucking album. I mean, it's. Right off the bat, 14 songs. I, I am assuming that's a play somehow on J.D. Salinger's. Is it Nine Stories, I think, or something like that? Um, mm-hmm. This weird conceit of it as a book, like the cover of it is Paul Westberg's hands holding a book that says 14 songs, and there's a picture of him on the back, like a book jacket. Like There's just something very encapsulated and, and, and scholarly about just the look of it. It's got the bland sort of 14 songs like I don't want to commit to a title like we talked about this with Pearl Jam a little bit you know when you're when you put the thought into a title to show that you're too cool for titles 14 songs it's a fine title it is kind of like here's the product you know there is a comment in that also if we were to go track by track you could probably get away with 12 songs and it'd be an even better album sure but it's just this this thing where it's like it's hard to get a clear view of what he looks like you know the back has a picture of him reading the book with the book in his face and then just you know, so just that, carrying that around, that meant so much to me. Because, you yeah. know, it wasn't like, you know, like I'd make mixtapes and stuff, but I carried this disc around. And then just the songs themselves, we don't we don't have to go track by track, but the songs themselves, they really tie back into, you know, what we were saying before about the waiting, wanting, and not yet having. I mean, this this is an album of that. What are the, some of the standouts for you? 
the biggest song yeah the song that means the most to me and it's it does to this day it's one of my favorite songs the the second track on the album is is a like five minute nearly five minute ballad called first glimmer do you know that yeah. song yep well yes i do <laughs> did you ever hear this song maybe playing in the room <laughs> It is probably. I actually um, have some notes here because uh, as I listened through, I would I would write some stuff down. Um, I wrote, "I love this sweet, lovely song." Heard this a lot. I actually have yeah. this written down. Heard this <laughs> a lot. So yeah, it's 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 no surprise. It's the first song you highlight here. Well, yeah. I mean, this song to me, this song is what it was like to be at college. You know, it's what it was like to be in a dorm room what it was like to uh, be walking around on my own around Boston, you know, specifically Boston. I know he's a Minnesota artist, but this album is tied into Boston for me. It's just what it was like to be a teenager and, 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 you know, later a 20 year old and, and even later than that, like a 21 year old. Um, this, I don't know, this is just a wandering around song, a wanting song. And honestly, cause something about Paul Westberg, he doesn't really write romantic songs. I mean, I think he writes songs where the romance is this, yearning this wanting that we keep going back to but like waiting for somebody that's not a romantic song it's 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 an idealistic or powerful song you can attach to it this song i feel like is the closest any of his songs get to like a relationship you know this song is really just right there in the title it's about the first moment of a relationship this idea of first glimmer that first moment where something changes where there's a little bit of wait what's this and it's the song itself describes these just romantic moments, you know, um, with you know about dirt and safety pins and the bridge and being under it. And it's like I got to have a couple of those moments, you know. I got to have that moment under this bridge in Kenmore Square with someone, you know. I got to have that moment on the docks watching like a sunrise with someone. I got to have those first glimmer like moments. And I'll be honest, stupidly in my head, this song I'm sure was playing. You know, and when sure. I think of those memories, this song plays because it really is about that initial frozen in time glimmer. That's what it is, this glimmer of something. And you know what? It gets taken away very quickly. None of his songs are about long lasting love or relationships or romance working out, which is fine because in college you don't want that. I mean, I think I would act like I did, but it's not like I was looking for the long term relationship. I was looking for this moment more than right. any other song. Or, or film or, or, or page of a book, this song, I think, demonstrates what it was to live in college for those four years. It was uh, always living in a specific or wanting a specific moment where everything just fired right. All yeah. the emotions were met. Someone was there and you could score it, frame it, direct it, record it so cinematically. And that's that's not something you get as you you know, that's not something you get to experience as you get older. And it's not something that leads anywhere because those moments don't last. Yeah. But this song with its five minute runtime encompassed all of that. And I think of it as the summer after college. I think of it as nights at college. Like it just, it does soundtrack like a blanket that those four years. Yeah. It's, 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 you, you hit it right on the head. It's a perfect uh, uh, encapsulation of that college experience and that, the new experience. I mean, you, it's a relationship song, but I think like you're saying, it could also be an underlying, you know, the first glimmer of, of everything, you know, your first experience away from home, your first experience uh, meeting new people, not just romantic relationships, but just new friends. Um, so I can see how it connects. 
Yeah, and I, I would challenge that it's a relationship song. I think I said that. I know you just said that, but I don't think those moments are necessarily about relationships. You know, I think a romantic yeah. moment is is exaggerated. A romantic moment has some reality in it, but it's playing off of all these things. It's playing off of notes and structures and lyrics and chorus and all of those things. And that's why I think this song is so brilliant, whether or not it's intentional. He, you know, he's not setting out to write a love song. Maybe he is somewhere, and there are songs maybe later in his catalog that, that are. But this is really about that moment that ultimately becomes a painful moment because it passes, and it passes so quickly. You know, the, the, the chorus of the yeah. song where he's, whoever he's singing to saying, you were my first glimmer of light or life, whatever the lyric is, that, that person is already gone. He's not singing it to them. He's singing it about them. And I don't know if I realized that at the time. There's, yeah, yeah. I mean, I listened to all of the, the three albums we, uh, we have here through the 90s. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of pain in a lot of these songs. I um, think so. Yeah, definitely. And and some of it's hidden in um, melodies that, that might not sound so painful. But um, yeah, so that's that's your standout for, from this album. For, for me with this album, um, the ones that stand out to me, I think, are the, I would say the more, rep- I, I, I'll say this, I don't know if it's, ex- you can <laughs> correct me. Uh, I would say replacement sounding song, but just like the rockier songs, the more upbeat songs, Should the songs that might have. I I, under, I agree with Rocky. I'm curious what ones sound like a replacement song to you. Uh, well, you know, I'm, and again, I'm no replacement no, expert. No, they're, they're what they sound like. You don't have to defend your yeah. standing immediately uh, uh, so, on what the replacement. So like, like are. "Knock It On Mine," uh, the, the mm-hmm. album opener. Uh, uh, down, lo- I love "Down Love" at, at the yeah. The that was a big song. song. That's the closing song. Um. um Someone I once knew, world class fad, like the more upbeat songs on the album um, were certainly ones that I c- connected to those a lot, a lot uh, quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, is it the music in those, or is there something like? Do you think of like the lyrical content of those songs? Like I don't know what I, "Down I, Love" is about. I do really. like the lyrical content um, a bit. I think those songs that I connected too fast. Yes, it's the upbeatness, it's the the musicality of it, um, but it's also that the songs. They're not necessarily the deeper songs on the album. I mean, some of mm-hmm. them have have uh, something in there, but they're <clears throat> they're kind of more snotty. I think "World Class Fat" is kind of a snotty song, mm-hmm. um, if I'm understanding it correctly. You know, saying that that so and so, hey, you think you're hot shit, but you're you're just a fad. Um, We're knocking about on Kurt Cobain. From what I've read, it's a direct response oh, to Kurt Cobain. That's it? what I've read. I don't know if that's true. I'll I think the video re-listen. has something in it too. I have to I have to take a, a, a re-listen to that. Uh, Kurt Cobain hadn't he was still around at that point then. He right? was, yeah. yeah. I mean, definitely would have been at the recording. Yeah, he ninety four did he die? Yeah, I think you're right. It was the next year in college. Yeah, ninety four mm-hmm. might have been our freshman year still. But but yeah, so those songs that uh, were I guess you could say they were more fun songs. I mean, mm-hmm. Down Love is is a silly you know. Uh, again, snotty song about I'm assuming his girlfriend or someone he's living with who's just on his nerves and he wants <laughs> her to, or her or him to keep it down. Um, and knocking on mine uh, is just it's, it's got some lyrical refrains about you know uh, stupidity. I call it freedom. Like read whatever you want, do whatever you want, quit knocking on what I do with my life. Um, and it's just kind of 
fun and it's it's the rockier songs it's the more upbeat songs and those connected with me uh Mm -hmm. faster and then you know you keep listening to it and then um the lyrical the deep lyrical songs kind of stick out more um and i i like uh even here we are um, which i hadn't yeah yeah, i hadn't really remembered that from from my previous listings and it really stood out this time i like that one a lot yeah i think that and black eyed susan are kind of what he's become both of those sound very like in the basement kind of studio songs like there's a drum machine on black eyed susan those are quieter songs but it's not a very quiet album for the most part. No. It is a lot yeah. of rocker songs or poppier songs. I mean, it's a good, and this is what I used to do. It was each of these songs, when they start, they're good soundtrack albums to picturing myself entering the cafeteria, walking through the park, going with someone to, to the record store. Like all of these feel like soundtrack tracks in a way. Mm. And I think it's because they're very, I think all of these songs are very much about the individual. You know, I think you were talking about knocking on mine, you know, stupidity, I call it freedom. It's like, it's his view against the world. And I think all of these songs kind of reflect that even the romantic ones, maybe all romantic songs are this, it's how this person impacts him. And it makes sense that all of these songs would hit me. Like there's no, there's no real risk with the exception of first glimmer. And in the feelings of these songs, you know, there's nothing really being, it's not necessarily hard on the sleeve kind of things. They're nice. They're beautiful songs. And they're very meaningful and deep songs. And the character of those songs is what I'm talking about. And what I related to is the delusion of being dangerous, the delusion of putting yourself out there, being unique and being on your own versus the reality of being scared and just part of the masses. I mean, that ties right into college and this album to me, you know, even world-class fad to turn that inward. Like, I mean, he could very well be singing about himself. It's this idea of you're doing all of this stuff, the jacket you put on, you're just trying to be something in this world. Like, all of these songs now, when I listen to them, do remind me a little bit of that, you know, scared, unsure person, you know, entering into Mm -hmm. college who has to wear something to show who they are. And for me, again, it was this album. I'm like, I am this album. These 14, well, again, we'll say 12 because I could do without two of the songs. These songs are me. If you want to understand me, listen to this album. And, and, and there are other things like that in the world, but this is so entwined with myself at that period. And I think it's very much because it's all about moving through the crowds, you know, moving through, pointing fingers, judging, moving through, pointing fingers at the people you like, moving through, having that one connection. It's it's this constant motion through almost all the songs, which is why the two songs I can't stand are clunkers. Which I'd like to, <clears throat> I'd like to take a guess as to what those two are. Sure, please do. Uh, the first one's real easy, Silver Naked Ladies. Ah, oh, that is awful. That's an awful song for anybody. <laughs> for anyone. <laughs> I don't even know what it's anyone. about. I don't care. I rarely listen to it. It was hard to listen to it just for this episode. It's just a it's loud, annoying... It's like a, a honky-tonk v- vibe to it. it yeah. It's... Doesn't sound like uh, Paul Westerberg or replacement song in any way. Yeah, it does um, sound Paul Westerbergy. Sadly, you think it does? I think there's a part of him. You say honky tonk, which is a word that I don't use, but if I'm understanding it, there's a part of him that kind of wants to be like a country rocker at times. It comes out in later works, and I feel like this song is an example of that. He song is also it was used in a movie. I forget one of the David Spade, Chris Farley movies. I think has this song. And as oh. we're going to see, if we ever get off this album, which we might not. I don't not, know if that's I the right kind of company you want your songs in. Well, it's a soundtracky song. It's a '90s yeah. soundtrack song. He was a go-to '90s soundtrack guy, and this song it just feels 
phony. It just feels obnoxious. Even that's, his voice that's how I it. hear. Like phony is exactly it. Like this seems like he's taken on some sort of character, and I just didn't like the character he was he was singing of or or uh, being while he sung it. The other song I don't care for is "Something Is Me," which I think is track oh, yeah? twelve. He name drops himself in it. <laughs> it sounds like lazy rhymes. Oh, and, and like, again, it's like, I get it. It's kind of like, I, it's something is me. I'm the problem. So that's good. That's a good yeah. refrain. I like having that on the album. That's if I understood that as, as a kid, and I don't know if I did, cause I don't remember listening to this track. That would be the first sign of some self-awareness, which is important, I think. Yeah. Um, in terms of it being, but yeah, it's just, it's a loud song. It sounds very sloppily put together, which is fine. It's just. <clears throat> again, with an album that I'm always listening to, minus the Silver Naked Ladies track, it slows it down, I think, because you're coming off of this other great song, Things, and I feel like that could lead right into Mannequin Chop. It's just clunky. It's just loud, and it doesn't really have an identity, although now that I'm thinking about the title, that self-awareness is important. Yeah, looking back on this album now and uh, listening to the other two albums, which I'll admit as we get to them, um, I didn't listen to... Um, the, eventually I listened to a bit, uh, again, being with you, but the, uh, the last one, is it Suicane? Is that how it's pronounced? Suicane Gratification, I believe is how it's pronounced. Yeah. I hadn't heard that. I hadn't heard anything off of that until this week. Um, so looking, looking back real quick though, but looking back as you're saying to, more to your point, I feel this is, we're talking about our, our life transition. I mean, this is definitely a transitional album for him because it does have those, um, replacement qualities to it while i think the the lyrics are growing and then you have your quieter moments um and i think he goes more in that direction to really kind of be himself as a solo artist in these next two albums yeah this next album eventually which was his second release came out three years after 14 songs i was very excited for this album it was preceded by a single the one single off the album is a song called love untold and honestly this song that song i think it's one of my favorite songs of his you know i i I think it it, it's the real theme to my 20s is that song after waiting for somebody once i got into college love untold was me sort of exploring this idea and it's a beautifully written song such a sad song i think that epitomizes what he can do as a as a painful singer songwriter that song again it's all about the not yet having you know I, I keep saying waiting wanting not yet having that song is about the not yet having um it's the one song off this album that i was most familiar with and it was also the one where i thought this is going to be tim's favorite song it taps into everything you've you you talk about this a, a lot on the podcast about the the wanting and the yearning um, and, and this moment too, we've talked about where it's like, uh, I have these feelings, I have these emotions and I just mm. can't talk about it. I haven't had a chance to, there's been no opening and, or I'm afraid to, and it's just, I'm going to live with it. It's going to be this love that I have that, that I'll never speak of. Right. That is this song and how dangerous <laughs> as a 20 year old, 21 year old to find an anthem that validates that. This song is damaging, too, because it makes valiant everything you just described. All those selfish feelings of, I can't tell you how I feel. I'm so tortured because I have these feelings, but I can't share them. And how dare you date someone because I secretly have feelings for your crush or whatever. This song was that soundtrack anthem. If 14 songs was all about walking around Boston, this song was all about 
being in the dorm room with that person, you know, being at out, you know, at a diner with that person, you know, just being with the person you can't acknowledge these feelings to coming up a little short. And for someone who romanticized his life as a constant movie and wanted the soundtrack, it, yes, this was the perfect fucking theme for that. It's one of my favorite songs of his, and it's one of the most impactful songs of my life. And it's too bad that the rest of this album, it's, I'm glad I heard that first, but this album, this is a rough album to get to yeah. it's it's of everything he's ever done this is sort of and he wasn't even one yet but it's like this is his sad dad rock album sort of sure sure it's just it's very i don't know there, there's no heart to it you know there's nothing outside of love untold i don't connect with any of these songs there's stuff i'll listen to and the first half is okay but it's just it falls down that awful litmus test of rock musicians when they near a midlife crisis and that it has a song with the title day in the title, you know, beautiful sure. day, or it's a brand new day. And he's got a good day, even though he and twists. These it. are the days. And these are the days. And it's just like, ah, uh, it's, it wasn't what I was expecting. Yeah. It's a lot of, um, regret. Like you're saying, like a, a midlife crisis of what, what could have been. And, and, uh, uh, like these are the days and and good day um they, they both seem to be about opportunities lost but at least i'm still alive it's like trying to find thematically uh, uh, that's great they're good lyrics but i never but, listened but to, to have this it, album yeah it's in a lot of the songs throughout um and so it, it does it kind of drags on you it, it pulls you down um it just sounds weird. It's strangely produced, or or it's blandly produced. Like there's not a lot of character to these songs. Well, it's very minimalistic. Like you're saying, like for me, the songs that I really liked on the previous album uh, were the rockier songs. You've got drum, bass, you know, uh, guitar, uh, backing vocals, hand claps in those songs <sighs> going on. Um, here, it's you know his voice and a piano. And that's just about it. And, you know, maybe him and an acoustic guitar. And that can work, but I don't well, know. I feel it did, it the did. Next this one, I feel like there is a band on a lot of these tracks. It feels like a bunch of dads in a garage. One of them wrote a song. Maybe I'm combining the two. Yeah, I just, I'm not putting dads down. I'm just saying, like, nobody wants to hear their dad in a band. <laughs> that's kind of what I feel like <laughs> this is. Nobody wants to be inside when their dad and his friends are outside jamming. You know, one guy brought a six pack. Go slowly with those beers, guys. We're going to record my new track today. What's it called? It's called Ain't Got Me. And it's all about how I'm going to slip through the fingers of, oh, just a minute. I got to switch the laundry. I'll be right back. It's just, ah, uh, this album, it's too bad. Even though, you know, it's just because I get why maybe people weren't fans of Paul Westerberg with this, <laughs> you know, it's like, I love him. And again, I was happy to own him as my favorite musician, but I feel like he didn't get as much respect as a solo artist until the two thousands. So we won't be talking about that, but this album, this is a difficult album. It's just, it's not great. <laughs> I mean, it's passable, but it just feels like someone, I don't hear the replacements in any of these songs. I don't hear 14 songs in any of these songs. Love Untold, I hear something new. And I love it. And I think that segues a little bit into his next album. But like, do you like any other tracks off this album? Um, I'm looking at my notes. Here's the thing. It's like, and, 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 and like you're saying, I, I kind of combined the two. Yeah. So eventually I guess didn't stand out. 
uh, for me between the two because I've sort of blended uh, eventually in Suakane gratification a little bit together. Um, no, nothing really does stand out. All eventually really does is it solidifies what his voice sounds like, his actual voice sounds like. Yeah, I got a, I wrote down Torch Singer, um, yeah. which isn't exactly what's happening, but I feel like that that sound came out on this album uh, for the first time where he's like this this sort of torch singer, and I wrote it next to Good Day. Um, <laughs> oh, that song's so yeah, so That's such so, a bad uh, song. Good Day, bad song. Do you want to say anything about Trumpet Clip? That's the worst song on this album. Tommy Stinson, the bassist of replacements, plays on it too. Oh, he does. It's but that's that similar to uh, something is me on the previous album. Like that just feels like, oh, one of the dads brought their horn instrument this week. <laughs> Guys, I wrote a little clip to play. Maybe we can write a song about this clip I'm playing. How much? Oh, yeah. It's oh, I don't like it. I really don't like it. Did you? Did you? Sorry. No, I wrote. No. What is this? It's 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 weak. It's someone maybe still figuring himself out. And I know the album started with one producer moved to another. He didn't have enough songs to fill an album at first. But yeah, I'm. This was rough. It was '96, and I remember defending this album to everybody. And then yeah. this last album of the '90s, Suicane Gratification. That to me is a very interesting album. It came out in '99, I think. Um, and I remember being excited for it. Even the packaging. It's like a more minimalistic cardboard packaging. We were running out the store. I don't even think I got it the day it came out, but I heard nothing off of it. There wasn't a lot of promotion for it. And that first track, it starts off with a song called It's a Wonderful Lie. It's a very, you know, you're saying minimalistic on eventually. This is the album I think of being min- minimalistic. It's got just a guitar. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Just his voice and the guitar. It's barren enough to sound almost like I could play it. And it's sad. You get the sense that's sad. And, and it's what he does really well. It's a series of clever word plays kind of twisted around and it connects, you know, so it connects with that wise ass or whatever person, but it's emotionally down. I think this album for me, as I was listening to it this week, suffered from the previous album Mm. um, because yeah, I didn't connect to the previous album and uh, Suikane started out and and sounded similar to the previous album. Oh, how does it sound similar to the previous album? I don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess like and again, you're going to hear that this transitions, but thematically and musically, it has similar uh, touchstones, I guess. And so for me, they sort of blended together at first. Hmm. Um, but as I continued to listen, and I really listened more to Suikane because I was less familiar with it than the other two, um, Suikane really grew on me. <clears throat> and it's because of what you're saying, because it was a more personal album. And so. the the things he was singing about felt more real uh, than things off of eventually. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it is. And again, it's not his greatest album, but it's up there. I'm, I was going to say like that first song, It's a Wonderful Lie. It does. That to me is close to a replacement song. Maybe not in how the music works, but the lyrics. Something mm-hmm. he's really good at, Paul Westerberg is very good at, is... He, he twists expectations of either phrases or words. So like the title, It's a Wonderful Lie. It's a play off of the title, It's a Wonderful Life. That's obvious, but it's clever enough, you know, because It's a Wonderful Life is a beautiful movie. And then when you take that F out, it's like also that beauty doesn't hold up. Like that's clever. But this song has one of my favorite lyrics of his. Um, there's a lyric in It's a Wonderful Lie, lie that goes, 
gonna run to the wind where the big bad city blows and that lyric is so perfect because it flips around and he does this um he does this in the replacements a lot it flips around the expected sentence structure of that sentence and it gets an even more evocative sort of image in it you know suddenly the big bad city first you know we all know big bad wind is you know this, the windy city or whatever but it's like the the, the, the i'm going to get out of the bad bad city by running into the most difficult area the breeze you know it's like that line in left of the dial there's a replacement song left of the dial where he has a line that says little girl keeps growing up playing makeup and wearing guitar and it should be the other round wearing makeup and playing right. guitar but he, he it's 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 this weird and maybe it's just clever but it's the sort of poetry that i get and in this song since i'm already attached to those lyrics it plays right into once again to this waiting wanting and not having angle of his music i think yeah it, it definitely it, it grew on me the more i listened to it, it and again it wasn't <clears throat> musically <clears throat> excuse me it's really choking you up as an album it's really yeah, choking yeah. you up it's, right it's now it's really affecting me uh, musically it wasn't what i was expecting mm-hmm. um and I, maybe i was put off by that initially and that's sort of why uh, it took m- repeated listens to really hear the lyrics and and hear what he was singing about uh, to to get into it i actually have it's funny um if you were to look at my notes i've got an initial set of notes in blue ink um <laughs> And then I've got another set of notes in black ink where I go back and I improve and, and uh, um, highlight things more. It's like it, it literally it's just a, a, a physical representation of how the album grew on me where it's like, no, no, no. My, my ideas about this are, are changing a bit. And you can um, download those notes at Amazon.com affiliate link. <laughs> I'll take a picture. I'll Bob take a picture. Penned. But it's like uh, like I wrote down. Uh, like for for uh, sunrise always listens. Uh, that's the one song I could do without on this album. <laughs> okay, and, and and initially I did too, um, and I just wrote piano next to it. <laughs> that's all I initially piano, wrote. Right? Yeah, but then I but then I you know kind of got into the lyrics and yeah, it's 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 a sad like and and not sad like emotional sad, but like uh, it's a little bit overly sad. It's a little bit saccharine. Yeah, it's more sad dad music. Yeah, but in the moment that it's I was like the song, the other dads time. are like, I don't know if I want to play this. It's something I've been working on, but you know, it's not what we normally do. Play it, man. What is it? Well, I wrote it the other day. It touched me yeah. in the moment I was hearing it. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever liked you know, that song. What? Why did it touch you? What? What is so evocative about Sunrise? Always I don't know. Listening? I mean, you're talking about you're talking about. Sad oh, I want to say in the song, the title of the song is "Sunrise Always Listens." That's the title. He says it in the song. That's dumb. But to it's also say the title. the title in the song. No, the, what dumb? the title is. I just want people to know that the, yeah, Sunrise Always Listens is the name of the song. I'm going to say it one more time, and then you can tell me your opinion because I did ask for it. The song is called All right. Sunrise Always <laughs> Listens. Not everything needs to be uh, artistic and, and, and uh, complex. Um, you're talking about sad dad music. Mm-hmm. And at the time that you were hearing these songs, you know, in, in the 90s, in college and just out of college, that was a concept that I think was removed from, from you and I. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get real here, Tim. I'm a dad now. Yeah, clearly. He was a dad when he wrote this album. He had just had a son. And he was a dad when he wrote this album. Um, 
And, you know, there are moments in parenthood where the movie you parenthood? get overwhelmed and, and TV show parenthood? crazy. For the other TV show parenthood? Thank you for tagging back to that. And you have moments in your life as a dad in a world where you're constantly going and you're thinking about other things and your problems aren't the priority your kids problems are your your spouse's problems are uh, the issues that you're dealing with to raise and support them uh, and perhaps you don't always have an outlet and you can't talk to your wife about how you're getting frustrated by uh, her needs and you can't tell your kids to fuck off because you've got your own problems because your kids are more important than you and Maybe that's why in this moment of my third or fourth listen to this song struck me a little bit. It's like, you know, yes, it's very saccharine. And I wrote that down. Um, But I still enjoyed it. I still heard what he was saying. um, Or at least I got that out of it. Um, So, yes, it is sad dad music. And perhaps I am a sad dad at the times uh, when when these types of lyrics uh, hit. Does that make sense? I know you're not a dad. That makes sense. Did, <laughs> Did I win that argument? It's the greatest song ever on the album. For yourself. Did you write, it's, uh, out of it's curiosity, not, it's not with your notes? Song. No, it's not. Um, the, yeah. song, the song, by the way, it's was called not, But I'm Just Saying. Always Listens, the title. In your notes, in your notes for it, you wrote um, So Saccharin. Is that what you wrote? Uh, I wrote Saccharin next yes. to it, yeah. Did you write that in case somebody found your notes? No, no, oh, that okay. was my initial feeling. I, I probably was a little embarrassed for myself having enjoyed the song so much or, or, or connected, connecting to it, yeah. This is an album of beautiful songs and no one ever listens to it. I mean, that's in a way is almost it's magic. <laughs> like it's this more than the previous album, more than eventually. This is his forgotten album. There, there were no singles off this album. There are no radio songs or no videos. He's recently remade Born For Me with Juliana Hatfield as a much faster song. They have a band together called the I Don't Cares, and they cover, not cover because he wrote it, but they perform that. But I don't think, you know, these weren't even really played in concert. I think I heard him play Looking Out Forever as part of another song. But this isn't this isn't an album that really exists outside of the album, and I kind of like that, you know, as we're leaving the 90s heading into the 2000s, not knowing what was on the horizon with the shifts both in the world, politically and, and, and safety-wise, but also just as individuals and, and getting older, this album's kind of like a nice last desperate gasp or sigh. I guess it's more of a sigh than a gasp, but I like having this yeah. as the tail end of the 90s for me because it's a sad album and it's a reflective album and there's a sense of starting to realize that this isn't working certain things at least aren't working or certain things are habits or certain things need to break and that wanting something isn't, mm, you know, it, it, it isn't the only way to exist, you know, done with waiting yeah. and wanting, Hmm, there must be something bigger than that. And so this is, I, this is a great, you know, you can't really call it bookends cause it's just three albums. And I feel like the middle one is forgettable <laughs> minus the one song on it, but side by side to book in the nineties, 14 songs, Love, uh, Love Untold off of eventually, but then this album were kind of a nice encapsulation of what it was to leave home 
and start yeah. exploring myself and then to start to round that out. Cause at the close of the nineties, it's not like it got cut off at the change of the century, but there was definitely um, a switch. So it's a nice measurement of that. And so I, I like having those side by side. And I think Paul Westerberg means a lot to me for more than these albums. I think if we were to talk about it for even longer, thank you everyone for listening this long, we would get into the replacements. We would get into his 21st century work. We would get into my identification with just him. But to talk about yeah. these albums, yeah, I'm. it was nice to go through them again. I was sad to see eventually kind of fall off. Like that's not something I ever right. returned to. It just kind of sits on my CD shelf because I have Love Untold uploaded somewhere else. But these other two albums, to hold them, to physically hold them and listen to them all the way through was sort of a nice way to relive some feelings, I guess. Yeah. You know yeah, I mean? and I, for me, it was it was nice to to finally come around to uh to sue um having yeah like like you said you had it but i never really connected to it didn't really listen to it at the time um me i like to have the physical albums and i don't know if it's in print anywhere still but i'm uh, of 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 these three albums i have 14 songs i actually i think i made you jealous when i told you i, I picked up a re-release of 14 songs that came in a an book. actual kind of hardcover yeah, book form lucky um you know what uh, i always thought i'll just say i want that enough and he'll he'll swap them but you never did <laughs> you never did i have nope. two copies of 14 uh, <laughs> songs but you never swapped that <laughs> Well, there you have it. We kind of discussed Paul Westerberg and, and what it meant to me. I was happy to listen to these things. I think some of what we said was of interest, but I'm really, it was nice to talk to you because, yeah, 14 Songs is probably the album I peg into our first few years um, as friends. So thanks, oh, man. Thanks for definitely. talking about that. I love that album. Yeah, no problem. I love talking music with you, Timmy. Oh, a nice thing to say at the end of the show. Um, which this is so thank you thank you <laughs> listeners for making it to the end of the show this has been 20th Century Popcast as always um, you can check us out at 20popcast.com if everything goes well and I'm risking something by recording it before knowing the new website should be up it should be up today it's a little redesign still a little barren but we're going to be start. I'm going to start adding more articles to it it's going to be a better way to get access to past episodes I think it'll look nicer so please check out 20popcast.com if it hasn't been fully updated, you'll see the old dull Tumblr site, but hopefully it's a new fancy-looking home site. And uh, while you're there, you can definitely subscribe to the show. Um, you can subscribe to it on AOL, uh, was it Apple Podcast? You can subscribe to it on Google Play. There might be some other options. Please do, if you do subscribe to it on any of those systems, if you can leave us a little review if you enjoy it, that always helps. Uh, you can follow me at Subcultist on Twitter, which would be the best way to keep up to date on things that I'm updating Bob, what can people do about you? Uh, they can they can follow me on Twitter <clears throat> as well at rh canning. Uh, they can also check out a webcomic that I've put together. If you are interested in more sad dad stuff, um, <laughs> it's a family type sitcomy uh, webcomic at uh, exaggeratedlife.wordpress.com. If you like talking music, though, Bob, don't you do a music website too? Oh, yes. Thanks, Tim. That ties into our topic. <laughs> yes, I do a uh, uh, music. I have, uh, as we've talked about, we make mixtapes. Mix I make mixtapes. I've actually held on to a lot of my mixtapes. And I have been going chronologically listening through my mixtapes and writing about the song selections and uh, where I was in my life at the time. And we're up to the 2000s, um, but you can also go back and, and start in 1998 uh, if, you, if you're interested. And that is also a WordPress site that is super ultra mega mix dot wordpress 
com. Dot com. C-O-M. Yeah, he's known. Uh, you're a great writer. Uh, enjoyed that, and you're a really good artist. So check those out, people. And please come back next week, hopefully. We're doing pretty well at keeping this at weekly, so I hope to do that. Um, again, Bob, do you have anything you'd like to say here at the end of the show? I'm all set, Tim. Take it away. All right. I'm doing air quotes today instead of saying my catchphrase. It was dumb. Just say it. Just say it next time, right? <laughs> Just say it. Ah. Uh,